0: Good morning, and please stay standing for the scripture reading. My name is Anna McAvoy, for those of you who do not know me. And I will be reading the scripture today in English and in Spanish. And today's scripture reading is from John 1, 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, you will see greater things than these and he said to him truly truly i say to you you will see heaven opened and the angels of god ascending and descending on the son of man al día siguiente jesus se propuso salir para galilea y encontró a felipe felipe y le dijo sígame felipe era de Paisada de la ciudad de Andrés y de Pedro Felipe encontró a Natanael y le dijo Hemos hablado aquel de quien escribió Moses en la ley Y también los profetas, a Jesús de Nazaret, el hijo de José Y Natanael le dijo, ¿Puede algo bueno salir de Nazaret? Ven y ver, le dijo Felipe Jesús vio venir a Natanael y el dijo de él: Ahí tienen un verdadero israelita en que no hay engaño. Natanael le preguntó: ¿Y cómo me conoces? Jesús le respondió: Antes de que Felipe te llamara cuando estabas debajo de hiera, te vi. Rabbi, te eres el, el hijo de Dios. «Tú eres el rey de Israel», respondió Natanael. Jesús le contestó, «¿Por qué te dije que ti, te vi debajo de Icalera crees? Cosas mayores que estás verás». También le dijo, «En verdad les digo que verán el cielo abierto y los ángeles de Dios subiendo y bajando sobre el Hijo del Hombre». This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, we're continuing in our series on the Gospel of John. We've titled it, Seeing Jesus. This is our second week in a bigger passage of Scripture, even bigger than the section that we read. It's John chapter 1, verse 19 through 51. And what we're seeing is how Jesus began his public ministry. And particularly what we're looking at last week and this week is we see how and why do people begin to follow Jesus? What we see is that from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, that people have followed him for different reasons than they follow other people. We, all, we follow people online. We follow leaders. It's always been what we do. But people follow Jesus for different reasons than we follow other leaders or other people. There's something different about Jesus, isn't there? There's something different about him because Jesus is different. What we saw last week is we saw that John the Baptist, and just to make things confusing, another guy named John who wrote the book, one of of Jesus' disciples, John the Evangelist. So John the Baptist, John the Evangelist, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel all begin by acknowledging the significance of Jesus. There's something different about him. There's something worth following. And this is the ground for anyone who wants to follow or worship Jesus. Uh, followers of Jesus are called disciples. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, there's no no idea, no concept of being a follower of Jesus without being a disciple of Jesus. And to be a disciple, it contains the word that the same word of discipline. Right? It means that it's someone who is disciplined and focused in their attention and allegiance. To Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is disciplined and intentional in their focus on Jesus. Doesn't mean that you have to be a disciplined person, you may not be, but it's someone who is disciplined and focused in their attention on Jesus. But here's a question that we have to ask Why would anybody want to live life that way? Why would anybody want to live their life disciplined and focused on the will of of somebody else? Why would somebody want to live their life with a disciplined focus on somebody else, and especially Jesus? Because Jesus made it clear, we talked about last week, if you want to come after him, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. What he's saying is we have to give up our preferences. We have to give up our any other allegiance other than to him. Why would anybody, why would anybody count nothing as their own for the sake of following Jesus. Why would they do that? And the way it begins that we see in our our passage, our bigger passage, and the one that was read for us this morning by Anna, it begins with an acknowledgement and a confession of who Jesus is. That's where you have to start. If I'm going to follow Jesus, or if I think I'm following Jesus, it begins by acknowledging who he is who is he where is he from what is his goal or mission these are questions that we have to grapple with who is jesus where is he from what is his goal or mission and you have to answer the question that jesus asked whenever the two disciples came following him from john and he said what are you seeking Because if you answer Jesus that question, why would you follow me? And you answer uh, for any, like somebody told me I should or it just seems like the right thing to do or I was born a Christian or uh, I don't know what else to do. Like if you answer any other question, the fact you are the son of God and therefore I give up everything else in my life in order to follow you. If you have any other answer, then you're not gonna be a true disciple of Jesus. You're not going to be disciplined and focused in your attention and allegiance to him. If, though, Jesus is the Son of God, If your answer to the question is who is he and where is he from, he's the son of God and he came from the Father and what is his goal or mission It is to seek and save the lost, and that includes me, that by nature I am lost and need a savior, if we answer that question that he is that, then the only reasonable answer in life is that I must seek Jesus and I must risk or lose everything I have in order to find him, in order to seek him. If he is the son of God, the savior of the world, then your possessions, your reputation, your intellect, your dreams, your family, your friends, your time, your money, your hopes, your dreams, your comfort, everything must be brought to to him, to submitted to him and counted as lost for the sake of following him. This morning, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what we see in this passage, what it looks like to follow Jesus. We're going to see two reasons. I'm going to try to run through this as fast as I can. We're going to see two two more reasons that we should follow Jesus and two ways in which we follow him. And as we do, I want you to, to listen and examine your own life. I want you to think about these things. Have you actually committed yourself to follow Jesus no matter the cost? No matter the cost. And as you hear about Jesus, I hope that you'll ask these questions, does does this ring true in the way that you follow him? And we see the way these disciples would turn to follow him. Is this ring true to the way that you follow him? And I hope you'll find some encouragement. If you're a believer and you hear us talk about what it means to follow Jesus, and I hope you remember why he is your Lord. And I hope you'll be freshly stirred to return to your first love and and hear yourself and see yourself in the story. And I pray for all of us that we would sit in awe and worship of the one who is worthy of our devotion and praise. First reason that we're going to look at this morning that we follow Jesus is we follow Jesus because he is the Christ or the Messiah. Now, in three places in our larger passage, we see people share the reason, they're sharing with others the particular reason that they should follow Jesus. First of all, let's look at John the Baptist. If you have your Bible or app, you can look at uh, John 1, verse 29 through 34. This is what John the Baptist said about him. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he says, that's who Jesus is. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. We talked about that last week. He's saying he is God. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness Look at this. And he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend, this is important, put a pen in this, we'll come back to it. He who you see the, the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist said, he, this is the one I saw the Spirit descend upon and remain. He is the Son of God. Andrew said this after he had been, after he figured out that this was Jesus. In verse 40, he says, well, we, we read about him. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then this is what Nathanael said. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Listen to this. You are the king of Israel. Here's what's the key component we're going to unpack in between all three of these people John, Andrew, and Nathaniel are all identifying Jesus as the long promised Messiah or Christ. It's the, the same word. Messiah, Christ is the word for Messiah, which is translated out of Greek. The Messiah or Christ. When they say this is, this is the Christ, that means you need to come follow him. First of all, Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. This was the promised one that God had promised that he would send to help save God's people. If you're familiar with that verse that we quote a lot during Christmas, uh, those verses out of Isaiah 9, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, so the increase of his government, and of peace there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of host will do this that was one of many prophecies about the messiah the anointed one the christ who is to come the one that 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 god said i'm going to send the messiah to you israel and he will save you or help you he will rule and reign there's a lot of speculation about what what that would look like in in right in this day and john's ministry had raised that expectation that he was coming to a fever pitch fever pitch this is what it meant whenever they said, this is the Christ. When John pointed to him and said, in so many words, this is the Christ. When Andrew said, this is the Christ, the Messiah. When Nathaniel said, this is the promised king of Israel. The first thing that the Israelites would have heard is the Christ is the one who would fulfill all the promises of God. And here's why that's important. Here's where it meets you and me. Israel, chosen by God to be a special people, They did one thing and they did it really well. They failed. Like from the beginning, from the get go, they failed. God gave them His law, God gave them His his uh, his word he said go and do this and you will live if you keep my covenant my commandments it will go well with you i will bless you it, you will you will be the the lenders and not the borrowers you will go it'll go well with you but if you don't i will scatter you into the rest of the earth and that's what they did from the very beginning from the get go israel failed and they failed gloriously they failed the covenant they failed the law they failed to love and worship god alone they failed to listen to the the prophets. And that was John the Baptist's big message. He says, Hey, don't think, don't think just because you're Jews that God is going to, you're going to get by. He said, He can raise up Jews out of this, out of the stones, out of this stump. They had failed from the beginning. And they failed right off the bat. I mean, think about it. They're taken out of Israel. Moses is on the, on the mountain in the Israel. He, the mountain is covered with smoke and darkness. There's lightnings. Moses is on the mountain with God himself. They see that. He doesn't come down. And what do they decide to do? Do they appoint a new Moses successor? What do they do? They, made, they, made a, they took their eyes off the mountain and put it down and said, let's make a calf and we'd rather worship that. But you know what? You and I do the same thing. It's the story of humankind. It's not just the Israelites fell right off the bat after God gave them his law. Adam and Eve were perfect in the garden. Everything was perfection, and they still, right off the bat, you ever ever think about that? Like We don't get off page one, practically, of the story, and the whole thing has gone to pot. And it's not just Adam and Eve or those Israelites back there. It's you and me. We fail and we fail gloriously. We fail off the bat and we fail continually. And that's why it meant so much that God spent so much of the Old Testament promising that he would send somebody, somebody who would come and make everything right again. He would send somebody who would come and make everything, Government right. He would send somebody who come and make society right. He would send somebody that would come and make economics right. And most importantly, he would send somebody that would come and make you and me right in the very core of our being. I will take your heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. That's what he said. That was the promise that he pointed to. Without the whole Old Testament. Somebody will come and help you. Somebody will come and save you. You failed, yes, you failed gloriously and over and over again. I will send somebody who will help you. I will send somebody who will save you and bring you up. And if Jesus is the Christ, then he's worth following because he is the long-promised savior. And you know what? You and I, we need saving. They would have heard that. This is the Christ. He's the one who was promised to come and save us, to fix everything, and more importantly, to fix. They didn't even know what all that they were saying, but he was the one who's come to fix us and the very core of our beings. Christ is the long-promised Messiah, and the Christ would rule in God's authority. They would have heard that when, when they say, this is the Christ. The Christ would come and rule in God's authority whatever it looked like, and they didn't know. There were a lot of different opinions exactly what that would look like, whether he would come in with a great army or political power or what he was gonna do, if he was gonna overthrow Rome, whatever that was gonna look like, they knew that the Christ would be a king of some sort. He would be the promised seed of David, the king who would come and make things right again. The true king would come and he would execute justice. He would administer mercy. He would establish peace. He would govern in righteousness and he would give health and prosperity to all the people. Can you imagine how that would have sounded so sweet to their ears? That should sound sweet to our ears as well. You and I long for a king to come and rule and reign and make things right. It's why you and I have a tendency to worship political figures rather than the one true God. Because we're longing for, we look around and we see what a mess things are. Would would somebody just come and make things right? And we'll prop up this person or this person or this person. Somebody come, I will give everything to you if you will come and make things right. But the Christ, is the long-awaited one, Jesus Christ, who will come and be the king, who will rule under God's authority and make all things right again. He's the one you've been waiting for. I want you to hear that this morning. He's the one you've been waiting for. Not for another ruler, not for another king, not for a political party to get their act together, not for you to get your act together, not for you to finish school or you to get married or you to get financial independence, you to make your own way. You are looking for him in your deepest longing of your soul, you're waiting for a savior and you're waiting for a king to come and make things right again, to rule and reign in divine justice and authority and mercy and grace. And if that's true, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to him? Will you submit to him? How will you respond whenever he rules and reigns in ways that you don't expect or you don't like? Because that's what a king does. They would have heard that, though. He's this long-promised Messiah that all scripture is pointed to. He's the divinely appointed king who will rule and reign. And they would have heard, and this is inherent in the phrase, the Christ or the Messiah. They would have heard this is the one who is supernaturally enabled by God to help us. This is really important. Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. It means well, to anoint something, you would take oil and pour it over something and it came became to mean this is the one who would be anointed or poured over by God's power and God's spirit. He'll be divinely enabled by God to make things right again. He'll be divinely enabled and empowered by God to help us and that's why John was looking for the one that he would baptize, that the Holy Spirit would come down and descend upon and stay upon. This is not one that a person of the Holy Spirit would come upon and leave. This is the one the Holy Spirit has come upon to empower and enable him to save us because Jesus was authentically and fully human. He was the seed of Adam and Eve and David. And yet, because he was fully righteous, He had the Spirit of God rest upon him and to remain upon him to enable him. And that's what makes Jesus so both confusing and compelling to us. Because he was a man, but endowed and in fellowship with the Holy Spirit who lived in the way mankind was meant to live. And that's why he's so confusing to us. Because our thinking, our feeling, our emotions are broken by sin. And when we see him, oftentimes we don't understand why would Jesus do that? Why would he show mercy in that point where I think he should not show mercy and yet fuss at the religious leaders that seem to be doing a pretty good job and living good lives? He always does the thing that we don't expect. There's a woman caught in adultery they bring her to him, and you would think, well, well, it's, it's obvious in the law what we should do to this woman. Everybody grab a rock and let's go. And yet Jesus stops and shows mercy to her. He doesn't make sense to us, but he is compelling to us because he's the one who came and lived life the way you and I were meant to live, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here's the really amazing news. He sent that same Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, to indwell and rest upon you when you were made righteous by his blood. The anointed one has come to anoint his people with his spirit to provide communion with God and enablement and empowerment to live a different kind of life. Is that your experience? Do you live in the power of the Spirit of God? Are you Have you... Do you live in a continual filling and baptism of the Spirit of God? Are you filled with him? This is the promise for you. We follow Jesus because he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And we follow Jesus, each of us individually, because he has revealed himself to us. I love this in the story. He calls these, well, he actually, in this this case, he doesn't even call them, Each person gets him pointed out by somebody else and they end up following him. And here's a difficult question. You've probably asked it in your life. Why is it that some people follow Jesus and some people don't? John announced to a crowd of people, this is the one I've been pointing towards the whole time and only two of them follow Jesus. Why do some people follow Jesus and some people don't? See, it wasn't readily apparent to observers that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. There were signs that you could pick up, but it wasn't readily apparent. He, wasn't, he didn't walk around with Messiah, a big necklace around. He didn't, Meg and I were walking the streets of New York a couple of weeks ago when we were up there, and uh, they had these signs on a couple of, on our Fifth Avenue, on these, on these uh, light posts along the way. It had a picture of this guy with a beautiful, amazing beard, and he said, the Messiah is here, and it gave a website. And I thought, I don't know if the Messiah came if they would have to do street stickers in order to announce it. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't, walk, he didn't have a www.com like IamTheMessiah.com. Uh, he, he, didn't, he, didn't he didn't have an account that just telling people over and over again on Instagram, I am the Messiah. He didn't have a big bling saying, I am he. He didn't have anything apparent. In fact, there was nothing about him that would make you think this was him. He was the son of peasants. He didn't have a place to lay his head. yet there were signs to see that this was him, but they weren't readily apparent to everybody. It's the same for us. It's easy to miss Jesus. You can even be in church and miss Jesus. Did you know that? Having eyes, but we don't see. Having ears, we don't hear. We can hear other people talk about him, He's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he is worth everything, and it kind of just goes in one ear and out the other. What makes a difference? You and I need to have Jesus reveal himself to us both personally and spiritually. We see that in these stories. I love the personal interactions that Jesus has with these people. Throughout all the book of John and all the gospels, the personal interactions that he has with him particularly, we can point out, uh, Nathaniel. They go and Philip goes and tells Nathaniel, hey, you gotta come meet this guy, Jesus. You got to come meet him. And Nathaniel was a little bit of a skeptic. I, I, I would love to think that I'm Peter and I'm just like, I will follow you, Lord, anywhere. I'm more like Nathaniel. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Sitting there under the fig tree, pondering things. We don't know what he was doing. Sitting on the fig tree, pondering the deep things of life. You are know, thinking, I, I don't know about this guy. I'll go. And he walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus says, ah, look, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he's like, how do you know who I am? And he said, Nathaniel, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus had a personal, he's the king of creation. Even though he's a man walking earth, he's the king of creation. He's got a lot of things going on. Scripture tells us that he is holding the universe together by the word of his power. He got a lot of things on his plate. And yet he meets Nathaniel and he personally says, I was watching you. You're sitting on the fig tree doubting me, not sure about me. I saw you the whole time. And Nathaniel all of a sudden knows, oh, you are the one, the one I've been waiting for. It's you. And that's what it's like when Jesus speaks to you personally and spiritually. You've heard about him. You may have heard the story. You may have been in church a million times before. You might even be a pastor. You might be on a board. You might be a Sunday school teacher. I know so many stories of people who are around Jesus, but all of a sudden Jesus speaks to their soul. And they're, it's really you. You're the one my soul has been longing for. I have overlooked you. I've missed you. You are the Lord of creation. I fall on my knees and I give all my life to you. You are the one and you need Christ to speak to you personally and you need Christ to speak spiritually to your heart. So the Spirit gives you facility to see and hear the truth. The Spirit gives you testimony that, that Jesus is weighty and real and true, and all of a sudden, you see the attraction and the appeal of him and in ways that are personally meaningful to you. You know what, Nathaniel's story, you and I read it about the fig tree. It doesn't mean anything to us except Jesus saw him of the fig tree. But for some reason, it was personally significant to Nathaniel. And that's what it's like when you and I follow Christ. When we share our stories, I love to hear, when you tell me, this happened and this happened and this happened and then somebody shared the gospel or I was in a service or, and and I'm like, you know, the things, the stories you tell are really cool but they don't mean as much to me as they do to you. They're your personal story where Jesus saw you under your fig tree and called you to come to him and the Holy Spirit breathed in your soul and all of a sudden, it's him. Has Jesus revealed himself to you? More importantly, have you responded? It's important that you don't ignore his work. When he speaks to you and reveals himself to you, don't ignore him. Don't turn away from him. Don't harden your heart from him. That's two reasons we should follow Jesus. He's the promised Christ, the Messiah. And he's revealed himself to us. Let's look at two, finish up by looking at two ways in which two ways in which we follow Jesus. Such a cool part of the story. Look at the natural way Andrew and Philip respond to meeting Jesus. Verse 41. Andrew first found his brother, his own brother Simon, and said to him. It's a key phrase. We have found. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then verses 45 and 46. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, he's, Man, I can just relate to his sarcasm. Philip said to him, come and see. Let's look at these two key phrases. We have found and come and see. Andrew says, we have found the one and this is what Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. See, sharing our faith can feel intimidating and complicated, can it? I just as soon as I said share your faith, I saw a number of you just kind of stiffen up. As a preacher, if you wanna have like fun with people, mention prayer or evangelism and immediately you see them. If you remember prayer and evangelism and all of a sudden like the whole place goes like, I feel guilty, I know, I know, I know. Shouldn't be. Sharing our faith can be intimidating, it can feel complicated because I'm not sure if people want to hear this message. I'm not sure they want to hear about Jesus and sins and dying on the cross and resurrection. Those aren't things that are appealing for people to hear. And I'm not sure that I'm able to share the gospel well enough for people to hear and respond. you relate to that? I'm not sure people want to hear. And even if they did, I'm not sure I could share it in such a way that they would want to respond. But here, we see evangelism in its utter simplicity. And it's this. When we find Jesus, this is the one. When we find Jesus, we bring others to him. It's really sort of that simple. When we find Jesus, we bring others to him. Here's how it works. Are you personally amazed at what you have found in Jesus? Are you personally amazed at what you have found in Jesus? Because here's what I know about you guys. If you find an amazing meal, I will see it on your Instagram feed. If you hear an amazing piece of music, I'm going to hear about it next time we talk over coffee. If you watched a movie last night that wowed you, you're going to talk about it when you're supposed to be working at work tomorrow for 30 minutes. That's just the way it works. When you fall in love, we can't stop hearing about it. If you found Jesus to be amazing, you don't have to discipline yourself. No one has to force you. You can't help but share the amazing thing that you found. C.S. Lewis said, our joy or worship is made complete in our sharing of the good that we have seen. If you have an amazing meal, don't you feel a little bit like if I can't share, if I can't tell somebody about this meal, it's like it's not quite as great as it could be. I'm not bragging, I just want to tell you about this meal. It's completed in our sharing. And if you've found Jesus to be amazing, You can't help but share that and overflow. So if you want to be a better evangelist as a Christian, sure, you can take a class and learn some techniques, but the first thing you should do is to be built up to overflowing with the glory and beauty of Jesus in your soul. Enjoy fellowship with him. Find that he is the long-promised Messiah, the Savior of the world who loves you and saw you under your fig tree and called you to himself. And then you can realize that other people have been looking for the same thing that you've been looking for. Did you hear that in the stories? The one that we've been looking for, the one that we've been waiting for, we found him. People are waiting for him. They don't know it's him, but they're waiting for him. And if you have found him and you are sure in your soul that you have, then be aware everybody on the face of the earth, no matter who they are, have been waiting for him. And then the last thing we see them do, and this is a beautiful thing, they take them to, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And this is what Philip says, Just come and see. He doesn't try to convince him that this is the Christ. He doesn't try to lay out him for a biblical Bible study why Jesus could have come out of Nazareth, that he really came out of Bethlehem, this could be the Messiah. He just says, hey, why don't you just come and see? And here's the beauty of that. He lets Jesus handle it. Because you know what? Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree. He placed value on Nathanael. And all you have to do is share out of the overflowing of your soul and take them to Jesus and let Jesus handle it. Come and see Nathaniel, Jesus, Jesus, Nathaniel. You guys got it. Because I believe Jesus is the Messiah and he can handle whatever Nathaniel's bringing him. Lastly, we follow Jesus and we bring others along and lastly and this is i hope you hear really good news on this we follow Jesus in degrees this is more implied from the passage i just want to share it with you guys as a pastor almost every person that we see in the story well, every person we see in the story that appears later has kind of a rocky up and down relationship with Jesus John the Baptist is going to doubt whether Jesus is the Messiah, even though he announced him in front of everybody. Peter is going to deny him three times. All his disciples are going to leave, except maybe the guy who wrote this book. To follow Jesus means you follow an actual person, it's a relationship. You see that in these interactions? And a relationship isn't a linear thing, there are personalities involved. There are differing ideas and values and emotions involved. Anybody in a romantic relationship, marriage, friendship, ever discovered that, that the relationship doesn't just flow linear? Like my wife and I, I love my wife, but I tell you, our relationship has not been just up and to the right continually. There's been, I pray it's like yo-yoing upstairs, but there's been some up and downs along the way. While we think we got things figured out, all of a sudden it gets rocky again, relationships involve personalities, and they aren't linear. There's differing ideas and values and emotions. And if you know a little bit about Jesus and his disciples, then you know that everything didn't click at once for them. There were doubts and disagreements. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, and Peter, Peter fussed at Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the King, in front of other people. The disciples didn't always understand. They weren't always faithful to Jesus. They didn't always follow him with the same intensity of this first day as it began. They didn't always agree with him. That's what it's like to be in relationship with a real person. You don't always see eye to eye with a real person. Another person isn't always predictable. They don't respond the way that you expect them to. And Jesus certainly is not always predictable. And if your Jesus always agrees with you, I say your Jesus, I should put air quotes there. If your Jesus always agrees with you, always pulls for the same things you pull for, always, hey, I think I should not do this. Uh, You hit in your head, yeah, don't do that. That's always, if you just hear the echo of your own desires and dreams, it's not actually Jesus Christ that you're following. Because Jesus is a person who has a will that is different than you and me. And we're going to disagree at times. Now, here's the wrinkle in the relationship with Jesus, though, is that he is the Lord of all creation. He is always perfect and he is always right. And, and you know what that means? If he and I disagree, guess who has to change? But here's the thing he's always loving, he's always gracious. He's incredible. We're going to see this throughout this whole book. He's incredibly patient. He's incredibly merciful. He's incredibly gracious. His nature is never to push us away, but to pull us in. And yet that pulling in comes at great cost. The cost is Jesus paid his life and his suffering and his death. The son of God, God himself, he paid the cost to bring you and me in. He paid the cost. Whenever he saw Nathaniel doubting under the fig tree, he paid the cost to bring Nathaniel to himself. He was prepaying it at the cross in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection. He paid the cost to bring us in. He paid for your sin, for my sin. He paid death and hell for you. And that's the kind of love that can motivate you and me to change. And that, and then Jesus provides the power in order to change. If you're a Christian this morning, those are all the reasons, and some, some reasons and some ways to follow him. He is worth following. A God who is all of those things, the Messiah, creator, God-man, gave his life for you, paid the price to bring you in, that's a God worth following. That's a God worth having. That's a God worth giving all of your life in disciplined focus to follow him above all things. We're getting ready to have communion together. And if you'll notice on your way up, there's no no token box for you to put an offering in before you come and receive. You bring nothing to pay for the blood and the body that was been broken and shed for you. He paid it all to bring you in. You can't earn it, you can't buy it. It's only given free of charge, and it's only given to those who know they need a Savior. If you are a believer in Christ today and you believe that you need a Savior, we invite you to come forward and partake of communion. If you're not this morning, today, do not harden your heart. Bow your knee to him. Confess him as Lord. Have somebody beside you pray for me or come and grab me. I'll be up in the front. I'd be happy to pray for you. I'm gonna pray for us now. The band's gonna play. There'll be two stations, one on each side. There'll be a wafers and a cup handed to you. You can take it back to your seat and then I'll come up after the song and lead us in communion together. Father, we thank you. For Jesus Christ, we thank you for your infinite mercy towards us in him. We thank you that he is worth following, worth having, worth giving all that we have for him. Father, convince us of that truth this morning, afresh and anew. And if there's any person here who doesn't know you, God, I pray today that you'd breathe life into their soul. And today would be their fig tree moment. But they know that you saw them. You paid a great price to bring them in. In the name of Christ we pray.